Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me. You got through another week. Yay, you. It is Friday, March 10th. Uh, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend planned. You know, if you're going to be downtown and you'd like to hear the candidates for mayor, I tweeted out the link to the forum that NPR's Cheryl Corey and I are going to be co-moderating tomorrow downtown. We It's from 2 to 4. We'd love to have you there. There's a large auditorium. I do know that it um, last time... Cheryl and Carol Marine did this. It uh, it sold out. So I can't promise there are any seats left as of today. But I did uh, tweet out a link. If you are interested in registering, you can go to my Twitter account at Joan Esposito C-H-I and uh, scroll down through all the goodness uh, till you find the tweet. I probably... I'll, I'll see if I can move it up. Maybe I'll pin the tweet just for today to have it at the top to make life easier for you. Hope to see you there. If you um, are a CPT listener, uh, I hope you have a chance to come on up and say hi to me at some point in the festivities. Looking forward to an interesting time. Oh, and this weekend, something else that's really important, daylight savings time. Spring ahead. Remember, fall back, spring ahead. We are going to be losing an hour. So uh, at 2 a.m., at 2 a.m. on early Sunday morning, it is going to become 3 a.m. early Sunday morning. There's still a move at the federal government to make one of these times permanent, either um, standard time or daylight savings time. I personally don't care. I wish it was just one and we could stick with it all year long. I know there are people who feel very strongly about one or the other. I don't care which one. Just pick one and go with it. I'm okay with either. It's this whole changey thing that I don't like. (sighs) A lot of the um, federal moves to make daylight savings time permanent face objection from uh, schools and parents, they feel that that would make, um, well, that would make it a little darker in the mornings in the wintertime when their kids are maybe standing out on the corner waiting for a bus or walking to school. And the fear is that it would put kids at risk for more accidents being hit by cars or other problems. And you know what? Um, if you've got a kid who walks to a bus stop, in the wintertime, that's a legitimate concern. And I certainly don't want to minimize that. And you know what? So instead of daylight savings time, let's make just regular old standard time permanent. I don't care. Just pick one and go with it. <sighs> okay. That happens this Sunday, the 12th. So everything you do on Monday is going to be screwed up. <laughs> You're going to you're going to be either an hour or too early or an hour too late. Just wrap your head around it. This is Friday and you know what we do on Friday. We take the first half of the show and we open up the phone lines. We talk with you 
our listeners about the news of the day. We are going to do that until 3.30 this afternoon. 773-763-9278. You can call me on that line and you can text me on that line. If you uh, would prefer to send your message via your fingers, that's perfectly fine, too. I will try to make sure I check the text line and get your comments. The story of the week that I want to start with today is this whole idea that the people at Fox knowingly lied to their audience because they are being Fox Cable is being sued by Dominion Voting for $1.6 billion. Dominion says that Fox ruined their reputation by repeatedly going on the air and saying that their voting machines weren't reliable. They use they have contracts all over the world. And as soon as Fox started peddling these messages, some of these contracts were called into question and some of them were canceled. So um, the one thing you have to say about some of these right wing crazies. Whatever they say on the air, whatever they say on their shows, whatever they say when they're on a podcast is oftentimes just baloney. You want to know the truth? Get them to testify under oath, whether this is a sworn deposition that takes place in a conference room or whether it is sworn testimony in a courtroom. And that's when you really get the truth. And that's what's happened here. There have been uh, texts revealed. Rupert Murdoch, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson. They all thought Donald Trump was insane. They knew very well the election was free and fair and not stolen. And they were sending one another texts to these effect, to saying these sorts of things. Tucker Carlson apparently sent one where sent a text where he said he hated Donald Trump. And yet you look at those same days when they went on the air. And it was all about the big lie. And Rupert Murdoch, as much as said when he gave his deposition under oath, that they did it for the money. They did it for the ratings. They did it because they felt that that's what their audience wanted. And it was all about the audience. It was all about the audience. Rupert Murdoch, under oath, basically said, we knew it was a lie, We didn't care. We didn't feel we had to tell the truth because, you know, really, we're really not a news organization. We're an entertainment company. That's that's their argument. This isn't NBC or ABC. We're entertainers, except that, you know what? Um, They don't present themselves to the audience like their entertainers, they present themselves to the audience like they are news people, like they are anchors. 
Fox thing in the morning. Oh, the three of them sitting on the couch, you know, just like parts of the Today Show and parts of Good Morning America. But oh, we're not. See, we don't have to. We don't have to tell the truth because we're not a news organization. We're an entertainment company and we are just entertaining people. And it was a more entertaining story uh, to tell people that the election was stolen. That was that was really the fun part. You know, that was that was um, that was what was going to get us more viewers. And if we get more viewers, we make more money and see, don't you see? The fact that we were sowing the seeds of the destruction of our of our democracy. Well, no, we didn't really consider that because, well, you know, we're not news. Just remember that they said under oath, they're not news. They're just entertainment, just like. Alex Jones, when he was in court trying to get custody of his kids, or rather trying not to lose custody of his kids, he and his lawyer both said, Alex Jones is is a performer. The show that he does is performance art. It's theater. It's not real. Nobody should believe it. Nobody with any sense would believe it. That's what he and his lawyer said under oath in court when he was trying not to lose custody of his kids. They're all flimflams. They're all carnival barkers. And once in a while, they admit it. And that, I think, is the big story of the week. Um, also, uh, President Biden came out and uh, talked about the budget, got a little bit of sound on that. So um, we have a lot to talk about. I see we already have a few callers here. We got some texts. Let's take a break and uh, get to it right after this. Take Joan Esposito live, local and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. The Santita Jackson Show. There are other issues that all of these cases continue to unearth. The pay gap. Then you get credit call out of the blue. Who's like, wait, wait, wait. I'm trying to advocate for people who, for mere possession of marijuana, have been sitting in prison since the 90s. I cannot even tell you. I mean, the black people whose lives have been wrecked. The Latinos who've been wrecked. Poor people who've been wrecked because of possession. The Santita Jackson Show, weekday mornings at 6 on WCPT 820. Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. This is Friday. On Friday, we get together and talk about the news of the day and the news of the week. We take your calls. We take your texts. The number is 773-763-9278. And uh, one of the texts that I just got is uh, what happened with the Bell Bowl Prairie. Um, Bell Bowl Prairie, you'll recall from a couple of discussions we've had, is an ancient uh, dry gravel prairie, uh, at least a couple of thousand years old. About 25 acres was left. 
Um, or um, no, the Bell Bowl is five acres in all of the country. There's about 25 acres of these dry gravel prairies left. And um, there was a group of naturalists trying to get Rockford Airport to consider other expansion plans other than bulldozing Bell Bowl Prairie. It got a reprieve for a while um, because there was a particular bumblebee that was endangered that used that plot of prairie to uh, to reproduce, but that was just a stay of execution during that time, which ended. And um, Bell Bowl Prairie is no more. Rockford Airport decided that... Um, they weren't going to look at alternate plans. They were uh, simply going to proceed with what they had already plotted for. And um, the bulldozers showed up. And uh, Bell Bowl Prairie is no more. So it's uh, described now as a growing plot of exposed dirt. Not every one of these stories has a happy ending, um, and this is one of those. So, no more Bell Bell Prairie, and the Rockford Airport expansion has gone into high gear. Sorry, uh, sorry the news isn't better on that one. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Our good friend Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Jim, what would you like to talk about today? Hi, Joan. I think we're, going, we're all going the way of the prairie, unfortunately. <laughs> but what I was going to say, the intrigue that's left now is between Trump and DeSantis. When you watch the Sunday talk shows, Trump was toxic. Every governor, Sununu, Christie especially, Hogan, say he has no chance of becoming the Republican nominee for president. But yet... And they're waiting, you know, the Heritage Foundation, the Federal Society, uh, the Republican money is waiting for DeSantis to jump in. They think he's going to jump in around. They're saying late uh, fall, maybe December. Now, oh, really? Oh, really? Where did you, uh, who's, who was that? Because the last thing I saw was speculation that DeSantis wasn't going to declare his candidacy while the Florida legislature was in session. But that wraps up, I believe, uh, by May. And there was some speculation that he might jump into the race as early as May. I don't see where that's an advantage for him. Um, I think the longer he waits, the better. But where did you see that it would be November or December? I, it's just, I, I, I can't. I mean, I, it isn't like I, you know, somebody revealed it to me. I heard a little bit, snippets of it. And, mm. and they said, because Reagan, I think Reagan pulled a similar thing and waited. You know, he's probably following Reagan's playbook. But the thing of it is, Joan, what, how are they going to chloroform Trump? What are they going to do with Trump when his supporters are going to vote for regardless? Because the Democrats all got their fingers crossed that he does end up as the nominee because even the Brazil and the down in Brazil and the Christie got a little bit of a two to two last week saying, you, you wish, you wish it's Trump. You know, they, but the real Republicans don't think it's going to be Trump. But the problem with it is it's a uh, catch-22 for him, as far as I can see. And I hope that's the case until 
hell freezes over. So anyway. Well, yeah. Well, here's what I think is going to happen. I think that DeSantis will at some point enter the race. My personal feeling, and I certainly have no insight into his campaign, um, is that he's waiting. There's no reason for him to jump in before he needs to declare which should show up in Iowa or New Hampshire. And I think that he's just hoping that something will happen uh, to damage Trump. Like, you know, like, you know, the best thing that could happen for DeSantis is that Trump finally gets charged with something somewhere and is found guilty of something somewhere. And, you know, maybe he's sitting back and crossing his fingers because I I agree with you. It's going to be. Yeah. It is going to be a real battle, and it is going to be bloody. Donald Trump so far is ignoring Nikki Haley, who entered the presidential race. I don't think he thinks that she has an ice cube's chance in hell, so he's not really worrying about her. But I think if Ron DeSantis gets into the race, I think we are going to see a real step up of the whole um, bloody battle. And, you know, it's interesting— Jonathan Alter, who wrote the book on Jimmy Carter, who we talked to a few weeks ago, he was on a podcast recently and somebody said to him, well, you know, it's going to be a crowded field and that might benefit Donald Trump because you're going to have Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, possibly Governor Glenn Youngkin, maybe Governor Greg Abbott. You know, there's going to be like five people in the race. And won't that benefit Trump? And Jonathan, I thought, uh, as a matter of fact, I have some sound on this. Jonathan said that no matter how many people throw their hat in the ring, he believes it is going to come down to Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump and nobody else. Um, Lady B, if you've got that, play that uh, Jonathan Alter sound right now. I completely agree that if Trump is the nominee, that they will go back to supporting Trump without mentioning the big lines will be better for Trump because he can talk about other issues. But where I disagree is there's a bit of conventional wisdom about Republican Party primaries that is inconsistent with the historical record in both parties. So the idea that five other candidates will split the anti-Trump vote, that's only true in Iowa and maybe New Hampshire. What happens is very quickly in both parties, the also lands run out of money and they drop out. So the odds of there being four or five candidates when they get to the delegate-rich states are quite small, and that is rarely pointed out. So DeSantis has quite a good chance of getting a a one-on-one with Trump. Whether he wins or not is a different matter, but they won't split the vote ultimately. I thought I thought that was pretty interesting, Jim. Right, he's right on target. He's right on target. He's brilliant. Anyway, so are you, Joan, and have a great weekend. Thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate uh, you always contributing to our show. Uh, Let's go back to the phone lines. Bob is calling in from Indiana. Hey, Bobby, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Well, I want to give you a little good news for the ending of the week. Okay. And uh, as you know, we had uh, International uh, Women's Day this week. We did indeed. 
Yeah, but today is the real big one. It's International Joni Esposito. <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny. I, I didn't actually realize there there was such a thing. Not that I I'm I'm completely and totally in support of it, though. I do want I do well, want you to know that <laughs> when when I uh, when I declare it, it must be true. Hey, yes. Uh, have you uh, have you read any good books lately? Well, um, that Jonathan Alter, Jimmy Carter book was good. And I'm currently reading a book that I think is absolutely excellent. It's called Rough Sleepers. It's by Tracy Kidder. And it is a, it's the story of the homeless, the unhoused population in the Boston area. And it actually is sort of the story specifically of this one doctor who uh, spent his entire career and is still um, spending his time um, tending to this group. And it's a real eye-opener about what, you know, because everybody talks about the unhoused population like it's a monolith, and when it's a lot of different people with a lot of different problems. And it is, um, I think I think it's terrific, and it's a terrific read. So, yes, well, why? Why do you ask? Well... I just finished, it's an old one, but a good one. I don't know if you've ever read it, Harpo Speaks by Harpo Marx. And no, I've, I've, I've heard of it, but I've never read it. Oh, you, you must, you must. And when I got to one part, you immediately came to mind. Uh-oh. When they kept their Christmas tree lights, on for over a year, and every time they decided there was a reason to celebrate, they turn them on. It could be somebody's birthday, it could be the 4th of July, what, whatever they wanted to make up, and they just had a blast. And I thought of you immediately when I read that. Well, so I... You're, you're in good company, kid. <laughs> Thank you very much. As as Bobby knows, I have had my Christmas tree up for um, three and a half years uh, now. We have no plans to take it down. And unlike this other family, I don't wait for a special occasion. I uh, I turn the lights on um, pretty much every day. Um, so <laughs> I guess in my life, <laughs> every day is a special occasion. That's that's what I should be saying. <sighs> Uh, Bobby, thanks that. for the call. Bye-bye. Yeah. yeah, we've got to take a break. We're going to be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs, is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday. We always spend at least the first half of Friday's show talking with you about the news of the day and the news of the week. We have a number of callers lined up to join the conversation. So let's go back to the phone lines. Roosevelt is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Roosevelt. Joan, have a nice weekend. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Uh, thank you. Thank for you. You too. Call. Hey, listen, I didn't call for this, but let me just make a quick comment about the subject you just talked about as far as the uh, 
as far as what, oh, now I forgot. I lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> well, you told Lady B that you were wanted to talk about Fox yeah. News and their lies. Yeah, first, no, let me, let me go back to what I said about, well, let me just say about Fox News. Thank you for reminders. Um, <laughs> okay, so these guys are saying they're entertainment, right? When they go to court, right? But when right. they go back to work, they could, they continue to do the same thing, right? So how come, is there a way that a judge could put a disclaimer, sort of like what we see on TV every day with these drugs that have a secondary effect? So there <laughs> yeah. you have a secondary effect, a third effect, if you watch Fox News. You see what I'm saying? Because here's the thing. They keep on doing the same thing. They go to court. It's similar to what the, the pillow guy did, too. Remember he said that now all of a sudden he's bankrupt because now uh, Moderna is, is suing him, so now he doesn't have any money all of a sudden? So isn't there a way to, for the judge to put a disclaimer? Because why can't? how come they're called news when they're not news? That's my point. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, so I, isn't there a way that, that since they, they since they admitted that they're not news, so isn't there a way legally for a judge to say, "Wait a minute, guys, you can't be doing this"? Because sadly, there is yeah. not. Uh, even when it when it used to exist, the so-called fairness doctrine. Which was, yeah. you know, you give one candidate some airtime, you got to give the other candidate equal time and a few other provisions that were supposed to promote fairness. And that doctrine's been done away with. So, no, they can call themselves news. They can call themselves the Fox cable clown car. They can call themselves anything they want. The where and this is why when they're under oath, they tell the truth, because that's the one place they cannot obfuscate. They cannot. Um, they cannot cover over who they really are, which is why the only time they tell the truth is when they are under oath, because they know then there are consequences if they say that they're news when they're really entertainment. So that's why the Alex Joneses and the Tucker Carlsons and the Rupert Murdochs. You know, don't listen to what they say in their press releases or what they say on television. Listen to what they say when they're under oath and they know that they are actually facing consequences for lying because that's when they tell the truth. Well, on the same subject, I guess my subject today for, for, the, for the afternoon or for a Friday afternoon is a double standard because I wanted to bring up this is the reason why I called. Uh, Swalwell uh, took Jordan to task, um, and he said that because now, because now all of a sudden, all these subpoenas that are coming out of the House, uh, the Democrats and whoever they're they're, they're subpoenaing, they're, they're slapping a subpoena um, on. Uh, now they have to comply, but but didn't he get a subpoena? So that's that's my point. Uh, Swalwell says, you know, that's quite rich that, and this is a quote, quite rich, he said, that you're asking for people to comply when you yourself didn't comply mm-hmm. with the previous Congress. So well, you know, we know, I mean, we know the Republican Party is the, is the party of double standards. You know, when Donald Trump was president, 
what was it, two or three times they voted to raise the debt ceiling and there was never a peep out of them. Now, under Biden, we need to raise the debt ceiling and suddenly it is the end of the world. I mean, they've been hypocrites for as long as I've been paying attention. Now, I want to I want to uh, uh, correct you a little bit. They've been snowflakes. That's what they've been. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> They are snowflakes. They are the most fragile of snowflakes. <laughs> Thank you for that call. Thank you. And, you know, along the lines of what Roosevelt was talking about, we have this admitted disinformation coming over the airwaves at Fox. Plus, remember, I shared some sound with you before. They wanted to have a big committee hearing where uh, Twitter executives, by God, were going to be made to answer for the fact that they don't give um, the they didn't give Donald Trump and they don't give right wing people a fair shake. And in the hearings, it became obvious that the opposite was true, that Twitter bent over backwards when Donald Trump made a complaint about somebody who ragged on him on Twitter. Twitter changed their rules. To accommodate Donald Trump. I mean, as you know, I I played you that clip a while ago from AOC and she said, you know, anybody who thinks that social media is left leaning or that social media doesn't give the Republicans, the far right, the benefit of every doubt should be listening right here, right now. They had Twitter executives saying that there was this standard And Donald Trump violated it. So rather than calling out Donald Trump, they changed the standard. Jamie Raskin was talking about a little bit about the Twitter grievances and about the lies coming out of Fox, particularly Tucker Carlson's most recent lies, where January 6th was just tourists. He took that footage Kevin McCarthy gave him from January 6th and edited so so all you could see was just people walking around and looking and he was like look at this they lied to you there was no insurrection it was just family day jamie raskin was in the committee that was considering um all of these kinds of right-wing grievances and lies and uh i just want to share with you what he had to say Nor have they asked for hearings about this obviously far more sweeping assault on journalistic free speech in America. Why not? If what we care about is private entities censoring private speech. They've also been silent about the shocking and Orwellian corporate censorship being practiced right now by the New York Post itself, the Fox News Corporation, Newsmax, and One America News. These outlets are refusing to inform their viewers and readers about the explosive and uncontradicted revelations in court that Fox executives and hosts like Tucker Carlson not only knew full well that Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump were lying about their ridiculous 2020 election claims, but privately called them, quote, insane, absurd, shockingly reckless, and dangerous as hell. These are quotes. And yet still... They credited and they circulated these outlandish conspiracy theories on the air nonetheless, and they now participate in a careful conspiracy of silence about their own complicity with the big lie. They are even shockingly trying to replace the mass 
of indestructible evidence telling the actual history of what happened on January 6, 2021, when 150 of our police officers were wounded by violent insurrectionists and the vice president of the United States was chased out of the Capitol by a mob calling for his, for his hanging with a few minutes of scattershot lies, pot shots, and distortions. Mr. Chairman, there is no factual basis for this bill. At the hearing, the only evidence we found of federal officials actually trying to coerce Twitter involved Donald Trump, whose feelings got hurt when a celebrity responded to one of his attacks by tweeting that he was a PAB, an acronym that I will not spell out in the interest of decorum today. But Trump then got White House officials to call Twitter and demand that they remove her tweet and remove her account. Again, none of our GOP colleagues has uttered a peep of protest against this clear governmental effort to coerce a social media platform to censor a private person's speech. Uh, By the way, P.A.B., the P refers to a woman's anatomy. The A refers to uh, butts. And the B uh, rhymes with which? Chrissy Teigen, John Legend's wife, uh, tweeted that out about Donald Trump, and she has a lot of followers, and Donald Trump did not like that. I will show you. I'm the president. I will get you banned. Didn't quite work out that way. Uh, It is Friday. We talk about the news of the day, the news of the week. Let's go back to the phone lines. George is calling in from the south side. Hey, George, how are you today? Well, to quote Tom Hartman, I'm great, but I'll get better. <laughs> and I hope you're the same. Always. Uh, very, a very quick remark on the fairness doctrine before I get to why I called. It, it used to be a requirement to receive a federal broadcast license that a licensee would adhere to what was known as the fairness doctrine, which was called, I believe, public service requirements in the law. One of them was you had to broadcast the news and any program labeled as news could not purvey propaganda, falsehoods, or lies. And you could have your license challenged on that basis. You could have commentary, but it had to be labeled as such. Um, But my feeling is, is that the Democrats don't have the spine and the guts to fight for a fairness doctrine. And they could also apply it to cable because cable can't operate without ground stations. And they require frequencies assigned by the federal government to send a signal up and bring it back down for distribution. So they could do something about Fox and Fox's lies, but they just don't have the guts to do so. And there's another another route they could take that that where they could backdoor it right now. Cable companies bundle your service like you cannot there's a there's a movement it hasn't gotten a lot of traction but it's been around for a couple of years gathering signatures um where if you want to if you want to see certain like if you want msnbc or cnn you can only do it by buying this bundle which oh by the way the fees for this bundle also support fox you cannot cut Fox out of your cable package. It is not possible the way that they sell it. And there are a lot of people who say, you know, I pay these fees to the cable company and basically these fees are supporting what I consider to be hate speech. 
we should not have to do this. There should be all these things should be separate. You want MSNBC? Great. You want CNN? Great. You know, pick and choose. Don't put them all together and say, well, you know, you want CNN, you got to pay for Fox. That would be another way to approach this problem, because I guarantee you, if people could cut the fees they pay away from Fox, say, well, you know what, I'll pay. Give me this bundle. It'll have CNN. It'll have Nickelodeon. It'll have MSNBC and Comedy Central. And that's all I want. Uh, And not Fox. Oh, their revenues would 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 dry up overnight. I like your proposal. Thank you. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> but, uh, the main thing I called about it is a lot more local. Um, I was flabbergasted when I first heard that Mayor Lightfoot had arranged with NASCAR to stage a NASCAR stock car race on the streets of downtown Chicago on the 4th of July. Without getting into all the details, this is a preposterous idea. I think it's self-evident as to why it is. And you would think that a smart woman like Lori Lightfoot would have learned from the first proposal of this type 40 years ago by Mayor Jane Byrne. At least she had the sense to be talked out of it by wiser, cooler, more rational heads. But here's the deal. All the stuff that normally goes on in Grant Park, downtown Chicago, and the surrounding neighborhoods on the 4th of July is going to be brought to a screeching halt by this race because all the streets have to be closed off. They all have to be barricaded with concrete barricades. How are you going to use a crosswalk when cars are going by at 180 miles an hour? You can't. These are all very good questions, and I agree with you that this whole idea was sprung not only on, you know, maybe regular people, you know, um, aren't always included in these discussions, but apparently none of the older people, none of the older people in the areas that are going to be affected by this were consulted. And the repercussions, you know, like you're right, the the 16-inch softball people are kicked out of Grant Park. Uh, Taste of Chicago kicked out of Grant Park. The Art Institute is worried that some of their possessions are going to be damaged. They're talking about packing things up and trucking things to a different location. That sounds like a pretty pricey operation. Who's going to underwrite that? It doesn't seem I I, I suspect the mayor did this because she wanted it to happen and she didn't want to take the time for public hearings or input. She wanted something that she could do and announce something she thought would be popular. Uh, and I think that it was, it was a very poorly a constructed idea. Well, all I can say is, is that independence day is the day that all kind of folks come down to downtown Chicago to see the fireworks, to stroll through the taste of Chicago, to enjoy the parks that are uh, our legacy, you know, going back into the 1800s. And, you know, there's two state-of-the-art racetracks out near Joliet where they could stage a 4th of July race, and it's made for that. Uh, I'm afraid that permanent damage is going to be done to the park. Um, The vibrations that are going to disturb those precious things at the Art Institute that are like are like a touch of the divine 
in this earthly realm is a, is just like beyond my comprehension. But think too of the Illinois Central Railroad tracks that go through the park below ground level. They're going to be subject to all of that vibration too, as are their retaining walls. I mean, they should have structural engineers come in and check this out before they do this, because there's no telling how much severe damage is going to be done by this. And oh it, my God, George! I don't think anybody's even thought of that yet. I, I mean, the thing is, all of that land east of Lake Michigan is landfill. It's not essentially stable. A lot of it was just garbage from the 1800s, and this is not the best support system for a NASCAR race. You're going to have to bring in probably at least a couple of hundred uh, 18-wheelers to haul in the cars, their machine shops, their spare parts, the tires. In a stock car race, you change the cars on a tire uh, at least several times. And they're going to be moving at such enormous speed on a very constrained track that's not designed for the capabilities of those cars. You know, the NASCAR racetracks have huge barriers to keep cars and parts of cars from flying into the crowd. We're not going to have that in Chicago. Whatever barriers they put up are not going to be adequate. A lot of people could die or get badly hurt or precious buildings be badly damaged. It, It just, you know, maybe she knew in her gut that she was in trouble for winning the primary or at least coming in second and, and was reaching for some sensational thing to do that would boost her. And it hasn't worked. She'll be out of office for two months by the time this race is scheduled to happen. I bet she's out of the city spending independence day on Martha's vineyard where she's spent it in the past. And, um, we'll all be left holding the bag. I, Downtown Chicago is going to be a good place to stay away from for about two weeks before the 4th and two weeks after the 4th. It's just going to, this is one of the best things the city of Chicago does, and it's going to be ruined. I hope that the new mayor and the council will be able to talk to NASCAR and get this repealed, even if they have to reimburse them financially. It'll be better than staging this monstrosity. Well, I don't know what kind of contracts have been signed and what the commitments are, financial and otherwise, but you raise a good point. Um, we'll see what happens. George, thank you for the call. We are way past time to take a break, so I'm going to uh, do it now, Lady B. We'll be right back after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. It is Friday. Friday, we talk about the news of the day, the news of the week. We have uh, been getting texts. We have a number of callers who want to join our conversation. One, uh, we were talking earlier about Fox News and how under oath uh, they admitted that they knew that Donald Trump lost the election, uh, but they continued to spout election lies because it was good for ratings. Yeah, okay. 
Uh, there were also texts sent from various Fox hosts to one another talking about how they hated Donald Trump and he was insane, et cetera, and so forth. So, yeah, they're all hypocrites. Somebody texted in, if Fox is purely entertainment, then why are its pretend journalists allowed in the White House press room? Fox, as described by Rupert Murdoch under oath, is entertainment. But Fox has always also had at least a couple of shows, usually in their earlier day parts, where it was really sort of more straight news. So they kind of, I mean, like, you know, like when, uh, when Chris Wallace was part of their, of their ro- lineup, when Shep Smith was part of their lineup, those were people who tried in the midst of all of the nonsense to do straight news and straight news reporting. There is much less and less and less of that at Fox all the time as the people doing it either uh, leave in disgust or get forced out. But I think that probably if you had to ask the White House, they don't want to, the White House, I don't think, wants to offend all of the people who listen to Fox, that the White House thinks, just like how Democrats go on Fox, you see Pete Buttigieg on Fox and other Democrats who go on Fox to argue their side of an issue or their tell their side of a story. I think the feeling is that maybe by having a Fox person in the White House press room, there is at least a chance that part of Joe Biden's message will make it through to that very large segment of the population. Remember, Tucker Carlson, pretty much every advertiser that ever bought time specifically on Tucker Carlson's show has left. Tucker Carlson is one of the shows that is supported only because of these fees I'm talking about. But he gets like three, three and a half million people watching him every night. That's just staggering. And I think that the White House feels just like when they send Democratic senators and Congress people and cabinet members to appear on Fox, that at least they have a shot of reaching some of those listeners who are otherwise going to be completely and totally brainwashed by the Murdoch message. That's my guess as to why it's it's happening. Let's go back to the phone lines. Ike is calling in from Charleston. Hello, Ike. Thanks for uh, joining our conversation today. Yeah, I'm going to play a rapid fire here with some comments. Uh, You know, you were talking about the NASCAR thing that I hadn't heard anything about. Uh, Just think about all the damage and, you know, the bill for cleaning up all that chewing tobacco and, you know, the empty beer cans. And Lord forbid you might have some rednecks move up on you there in Chicago. Uh, that'd be a real shame. But listen, uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, the truth in broadcasting, we better deal with this and we better deal with it quickly. We need to fix our libel laws. And that being because here comes AI and if they can put out anything they want on the airwaves, there's nothing stopping them from making stuff out of complete whole cloth. 
and it's a real danger that's going to be even worse in the future. Uh, a way to get to these people is, is to clean up the libel laws and make them responsible for what they broadcast, number one. And number two, if you really want to get to them, uh, have some liability put on the people that are, are funding them by advertising on their airwaves. If it, if it comes down to taking money out of the sponsor's pockets, maybe they'll think twice about who they're backing up. Uh, and one other thing on the local scene here uh, in South Carolina, uh, which made it nationwide, this uh, lawyer, Harbaugh, or Murdoch, rather, uh, Murdoch, whatever you call him, uh, there's there's something that uh, is not well known outside of South Carolina. This family is a perfect example of the Republican hierarchy and the good old boy system that has run this state for decades. And these are the corrupt, nasty individuals of the good old boys. And you have not yet seen everybody that was behind this man. There's a whole network of bankers and lawyers and politicians connected to that guy that you don't know anything about that are involved in the very high echelons of this government here that runs this state. And it's a good example on a micro level in our state of what it is nationwide. These people are evil. They don't care who they use. They don't care who they crush. They don't care who they throw in their private prisons. They don't care who starves. They don't care who they kill. They've got one thing in mind, and that's power. And if you don't answer raw power and people like that with brass knuckles, Democrats, you're never going to get out of this mess. Just remember, they think they've got us in the bag, but we're more than they are. All we got to do is make sure we've got access to boat, and we'll put them in the We'll put them back in the hole where they belong in 24 because we've been doing it ever since Trump crawled out from underneath that slimy rock he came out from. Yep, I I agree with you. It's an argument we've um, we've talked about on this show before. You know, Democrats need to fight fire with fire. And, you know, I think it's interesting, even in her most recent interviews for her newest book, you know, Michelle Obama kind of said, you know, when I said, when they go low, we go high, she goes, I didn't mean that we don't ever fight back, or I didn't mean that we don't fight fire with fire. That wasn't what I was, I was talking about. You know, I'm sort of saying don't stoop to their level, but, but you have to fight and you have to fight passionately on a lot of these, on a lot of these issues. Oh, oh, we got to, geez, uh, uh, got so interested, Ike, I, Almost blew through the news. We're going to do the news. We'll be right back after this. Hey, where's Hal Sparks? I'm not sure where he is now, but I know where you can find him Saturdays at 11. It'll be right here on WCPT 820 for the Hal Sparks radio program. Mega Worldwide. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. On WCPT 820. It is Friday. We always spend the first half of the show up until about 3.30 talking to you about the news of the day. We are taking texts and taking calls, 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. 
Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Brad is calling in from Elk Grove Village. Yeah. Hi, Joan. Um, Hi, Brad. I, I, I made this comment on Tom Hartman's show maybe a week ago, and I want your audience to follow as I go through with it because it's very humorous, but it's very true. Marjorie Taylor Greene, and there are a lot of others like her, the Freedom for Only Us caucus members, they want, uh, what, the national divorce, and I think an appropriate name for what they want is the American Nationalist United States. Make that acronym and it describes those people perfectly. The slang term for that acronym is exactly who they are. Yeah, you could add, you could throw Christian in there too, if you wanted to, well, because no, most of the ones that I see, that they acronym. want it to be a white nationalist Christian nation. Well, make, you just go American Nationalist United States. Make the acronym from the first four letters, and you have who they are perfectly. Oh God, you're you're a very bad man, Brad. Ah, I fight fire <laughs> with fire. I'm not a nice liberal. Never have been. Well, I think that I think that people respect people who fight fire with fire. Uh, and I think that uh, as we get closer, I think that's a lesson that most Democrats have learned. You know, you can't say so you can't when somebody is telling a crowd that you are evil and you are the devil, you can't get up to the microphone and say, well, you know, let's talk about policy. Let's talk about some changes I want to make to House Bill 474. You have to get up there and you have to say, no, I am an angel and I am here to deliver you. And here is why, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think Democrats have slowly awakened to the fact that when somebody is making an emotional argument, you counter that with an emotional argument. You don't, you know, you don't spout a bunch of facts uh, because that doesn't touch people where they live. So, Brad, I will no. take that acronym under advisement. <laughs> and, it's perfect for them. And, uh, and I thank you for the call. Uh, Lady B, let's go back to the phone lines. We have David calling in from San Francisco. Hello, David. Thanks for joining our fun today. What would you like to talk about? Oh, hi, Joe. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, with that last caller, uh, I try to use a lot of old uh, Ben Franklin kind of quotes. Uh, penny wise, pound foolish, uh, you know, stitch in time, uh, investment kind of terms. And in fact, uh, you know, the derailment out there with uh, Norfolk Southern, they were penny wise and pound foolish. They uh, decided to fire 40% of their staff, and all of a sudden they uh, end up with a very expensive problem. Mm. Uh, and by the way, you, you were talking, uh, 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 talking to an earlier caller about Fox News. The, uh, I don't know if you remember, there's a famous lawsuit that was just before the turn of the century. I think it involved uh, dairy. 
and uh, some Florida reporters that were part of a Fox News uh, team in a TV station down in Florida uh, did a long research project on dairy. And uh, they uh, just before it aired, they got fired. And so they fired, they uh, sued Fox for uh, wrongful termination. Uh, they had their facts right, but Fox didn't want to play the, the piece. And um, they Fox ended up winning because they they contended that they were discount news, and as the cheapest news service uh, in the world, basically, they were able to sell their uh, their services. And if if you're aware of the power of Fox, they basically have one third of the news broadcasts in the entire world are tied to Rupert Murdoch, whether it's News Corp or. Well, he's got the New York Post. He's got the Wall Street Journal. He's got uh, Fox Cable, you know, and that's not that's just in this country. That's not counting what he's got in uh, the United Kingdom, what he's got in Australia. Yep. Right. But it's discount news. And that's how they were able to win the, the wrongful termination case, because they claimed that as discount news, you couldn't rely on them. And uh, so they were able to squelch a, a story about, uh, you know, hazards of eating too much dairy that had, you know, all sorts of pesticides and, uh, you know, additives in it. Uh, and they won based upon the idea that they were discount news. Now, um, I, I called a couple of weeks ago talking about Norfolk Southern and saying that um, one of the ways that Chicago could use their their mighty power is to demand a performance bond. And I think the same thing could be done with Fox News, uh, that if they are going to uh, spout crazy theories, lies, innuendos, uh, that they should have some sort of a performance bond. Uh, and a performance bond is basically that, you know, if the Chicago uh, rail yards uh, typically accept Norfolk Southern uh, uh, vehicles into their property, they should demand, like, a say, a minimum of a billion dollars cash sitting uh, in an account somewhere. In case there's a spill or a wreck or something like that, the city of Chicago would have uh, something to work with uh, regarding the cleanup, and the performance bond is, is like an insurance policy, but it's ready cash. Uh, Well, I like that idea. I also like the idea, you know, a judge ruled recently that anyone who felt that they were damaged in any way by what happened on January 6th, that they could go ahead and sue Donald Trump. I would, you know, I've I've talked to experts and legally this just isn't going to happen. But wouldn't it be great if people, let's say you were wound up by Fox and that's you know, from the rhetoric you heard, that's why you ended up at the Capitol January 6th. Wouldn't it be great if you could go back and sue Fox because they knowingly lied to you? They knowingly fed you lies that caused you to act in a certain way that was detrimental to you and the country. I have been told that that's kind of legally not ever going to happen, but wouldn't it be great? Well, it's market forces. And yep. this is where you can, the original reason I called was you were talking about uh, Trump and his potential rivals in 2024. Well, I contend that what, I, what I've been talking about, uh, performance bonds, is old school conservative. Uh, 
that any town in America that had some dangerous uh, situation put on by a factory or whatnot, they could demand a performance bond or they would just yank the business license of that company. And that's old school uh, conservative. See if the, if the um, uh, McCarthy uh, uh, crowd uh, even acknowledged that performance bonds are an option. Uh, they don't, they're, they're fake conservatives. They're, they're basically organized crime pretending to be uh, a political party and that they're uh, setting things up. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with currency speculators, but they're famous for praising a country and praising a country and praising a country uh, until the currency gets high and then the exchange rate currency gets high and then they uh, do a, a pump and dump. They pray yeah. and they curse it and they curse <clears throat> it. And so these Republicans, Paul Manafort, Roger Stone, the gold brokers, all of the uh, neocons, uh, you know, from George Bush all the way back, they're, they're basically currency speculators doing a pump and dump, but it's not on, on widgets, it's on America. And so they're doing a pump and dump on America. And, David, uh, we've, we've got to uh, break in here. We are overdue for a commercial break. I thank you for joining our conversation today. I really appreciate the call. We are going to be back with more right after this. The latest politics. We both took an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Global news. We do know one thing. This tragedy would never have happened but for Russia's needless invasion of Ukraine. And business updates. These are banks that people rely on to get cash. And we need to make sure that they are protected. And factual conversations. WCPT 820. Chicago's progressive talk. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. Now back to Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday, and we are taking your calls. Let's get back to it right now. Ron is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Ron, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, You mentioned uh, Walgreens the other day that... uh, they will no longer be selling uh, abortion pills in 21 states, and four of these states are pro-choice. And uh, California no longer wants Walgreens uh, doing business in their state. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, California just canceled, or they put on hold, a $54 million contract that the state had with Walgreens because a Walgreens got a letter from several Republican attorneys general that said, Oh, well, you know, they may, Mifepristone, um, the abortion medicine may still be legal, but we don't really want it to be, and we're going to work hard to ban it. So you might as well, like, stop uh, distributing it and stop giving it out now. And Walgreens said, oh, okay. All the other, like Rite Aid, CVS, United Healthcare, they were like, hey, if it's legal, we're going to distribute it, and we're going to, and we're going to sell it, and we're going to make it available. We follow the law, not your requests. Walgreens was the only company that said, oh, oh, that's a good idea. I know it's it's still legal, but, you know, I don't want to make you mad, so we'll go along with it. So, yeah, there's a big boycott of Walgreens right now. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah my question was, uh, is Walgreens going to, uh, in these 21 states, or is, is Walgreens going to uh, refuse to uh, fill medication as a risk of causing abortion? You know, there are 
some medicine that uh, there's a small risk. Oh, well, yeah, um, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, some of the medicines that people take for things like autoimmune uh, dif- uh, diseases like lupus, some uh, Selena Gomez very famously has lupus. She had to have a kidney transplant because of lupus. Um, she's very, been very public about her struggles, and she said that one of the drugs that she is regularly prescribed is viewed in some states as an abortifacient, and people who have lupus can no longer get their prescriptions filled. It's it's ridiculous. It's insane. Okay. Right. So thanks for the thanks for the call, Ron. Always good uh, to mention the things that um, we have been so passionate about this week. I told you I'm not shopping at Walgreens. You can make up your own mind. I had one prescription with them that I've moved to another company. And um, you know what? When I need drugstore mascara, there's lots of other places for me to go. There's no reason for me to go to Walgreens anymore, and I ain't going to do it. So there. Um, let's get uh, – we got time. We're going to get the – Final callers in. Steve from the Gold Coast is on the line. Hey, Steve, how are you today? Hello, Joan. Sorry, just getting in the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't. I, is it a bad time? Should we come back to you later? No, uh, no, no. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, it is a bad time. But in any case, I just want to make a couple of points. I, I want. I, I'm not of the view that. Steve. And and. Okay, Steve, I don't know what's going on with your audio. You're dropping you're dropping out. Maybe it's switching between your phone and the car. Uh, I can hear you now. Start over again. Okay. Yes, I'm not for vilifying the, the other side entirely. Certainly there are enough villains on their side, and, and, and those people need to be taken to task. But I'm not for turning 70 million Americans into the other. Um, I think that we should try and reach out and try and reach as many of them as possible. At the same time, I recognize that in situationally, yes, you need to, to counter sometimes an emotional argument with an emotional argument if you're on a stage having a political debate. But that doesn't mean that we should devolve into all sides simply, you know, expressing what we feel as opposed to what we know in terms of research and science and, and actual data. And, and that, so because I think that once we start down that road, then pretty much anything goes. We can, all of us can claim anything we want, and then we'll get the elected official that pretty much reflects your idea versus mine of who belongs in office. No, I, I, I hesitate to think that we should go down that road. That's not how modern Western democracy was built. It was built on the notion that a well-educated public, well-informed, you know, using rationality, reason, logic, scientific methodology could make better decisions than people who are guided by superstition and emotion. So I understand the argument of, of why sometimes emotion wins. It cannot, be, it cannot become the dominant thing that guides our democracy. Otherwise, we're lost. Yeah. Um, and, and having said that, um, this, this idea of what, what Tucker Carlson did, I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed that somebody actually, uh, uh, you know, buys into this. If you take over 40,000 hours of, of film and you can find a few moments of people not doing something wrong, which is like saying, you know what, I can find some footage of John Wayne Gacy playing a clown at a kid's party, which therefore negates the possibility that he was a serial killer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, but yet people buy into this. And, and to be fair, what Fox did 
in, in this regard, which is why you have this disconnect between what their personalities thought in private versus public, is they thought Newsmax and One American News and so forth coming for them during this period. So if they weren't conservative enough, then they thought they were going to lose their audience and their bottom line was going to suffer. Absolutely. Um, and, it was, that, and Rupert pretty much said that flat out. Uh, Steve, I got to I got to wrap this up. We only have a couple minutes you. left and I'm going to uh, try to uh, finish our, our phone log here. So let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Paul is uh, on the phone from Seattle, Washington. Paul, go ahead. Oh, OK. Well, then let's go to Jerry, uh, who is calling from uh, Richmond Park. Jerry, are you there? Hey, Joe. Yeah, I'm here, Joe. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, good, good, good. Uh, like you, I am going to do the same thing when it comes to Walgreens because it doesn't make sense what they're doing. You know, pre preempting what what's going on because some wild people are doing what they're doing. That's totally ridiculous. But I had a question for you. Um, I watched yesterday the funeral of the young man that was murdered, uh, the policeman. And I can't, I can't remember, and maybe I'm wrong, but I can't remember ever seeing that type of uh, uh, situation for other policemen that was killed. I saw a commander that was shot and killed down at the old uh, uh, building downtown. Um, uh, the, what was that? The, the Johnson, not Johnson, but the. Uh, Illinois State Building, that's what it was. He was murdered down there, and they didn't give him that type of send-off. I think that this young man deserves everything he can get because he was doing his job, and and this situation happened. Yeah. But um, I can't, it, I, I can't I, say I can't each and every time, but I, I do know that... The previous uh, Chicago cop ca- uh, killed in the line of duty was Ella French, and she got a very similar, very big... Very big send off. Um, they there's a lot of traditions of how not only the cops, but also the firefighters sort of band together to respond to these situations. And um, most of the time there is just a massive uh, show of support from uh, fellow fellow officers, fellow first responders. Uh, Jerry, that's uh, doing it for us. We're, I'm sorry, we're up against the commercial, and we are going to uh, switch over to the interview portion of our program today when we take a break right after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs, is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We had a health and wellness panel yesterday with a number of fascinating people it was a great discussion. I hope you had a chance to um, to listen and watch. If not, I'm going to figure out. I believe that there is a recording available. We talked a lot about some of the newest concepts in medicine, integrative medicine, the fact that, um, you know, we're learning more and more that 
what happens in our gut affects the rest of our body. It was a very educational and enlightening. One of our panelists, uh, Steve Satek, who is the chief commercial officer at Great Lakes Clinical Trials, was there, and he talked about some of the cutting-edge research that is being done there, and I really wanted to give him an opportunity to talk about some of that in greater detail, so I have invited him to join us here on the radio today. Steve, welcome to WCPT yet again. Thanks, Joan. It's, it's, it's always a pleasure to be called a fascinating person, so <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I was... It was a great meeting. It was a great... It was. It was. Really happy you put it together, yeah. I was looking through uh, some of the notes on um, Great Lakes Clinical Trials, and you are doing some really interesting work on so many subjects. Let's start with Alzheimer's. What are you What are you looking at there? We're doing so much work in that area. And that you're, you're absolutely right, Joan. And things change at our research center. Sometimes we're focusing on certain therapeutic areas, other times on other therapeutic areas. But you know, as a research center, our goal is really just to look at different medications, different therapies, devices, um, just anything that really relates to healthcare, and just to determine whether it works or it doesn't work. And that's what a research center really does. What we've been doing here um, at Great Lakes for for many years since we actually were founded about 11 years ago, we actually been focusing on Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders for, for a long time. And I have to tell you, even before I opened up Great Lakes, I was doing work in Alzheimer's disease as well. And we've had failure after failure in trying to find medications that were going to be effective and useful. And just over the last year, we've had a couple of really exciting developments where we've had some medications that have actually gone through the clinical trial process and actually gotten approved by the FDA for for use in in the general public. Um, The most recent one was earlier this year with um, Lacatamab, which also goes by Lacambi. That's a medication that was just approved, and it it showed some really good effect in terms of slowing down the progression of of Alzheimer's disease and memory loss. The the progression was slowed down by about 26%. So it's not perfect. We're not curing it. But you know what? If we can actually delay the onset or delay the the loss of, of memory, and gain greater quality of life with our loved ones for a shorter period of time, that, that's, that's a win in my book. So. Now, is this an, a drug that's already FDA approved that you are studying a new use for, or is this something yeah. brand new that isn't in the pipeline yet? It, it's actually approved by the FDA, got approved earlier this year, and so that's it was some work that we we actually worked on. So we had patients on our at our clinic that were on these trials and helped to get the approval by the FDA. So that's that's really what we do is we actually get these drugs approved, and unfortunately, it then goes to different payer groups to try and figure out what the pricing is going to be and that sort of thing. And unfortunately, we've come against a, a number of hurdles with these, these drugs, and, and as you can imagine. Right, so we we do all the good work, and then we we, we uh, kind of like the wind gets let out of our sails because unfortunately, you know, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has refused to actually pay for these medications. Um, they, you know, and this is something that the Alzheimer's Disease, um, the Alzheimer's Association, and a number, actually most groups out there that are supportive, the, the all the advocacy groups that are out there are trying to lobby these uh, the, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid right now because 
they just blankly said that they're not going to cover this class of medication, even though we saw a 27% decline in the loss of memory. We saw a 37% decline in our um, reduction in decline of functional things like driving and, 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 and paying checks and, and toileting and eating. So people are able to maintain a better quality of life from these medications, but they're not paying for it. So we have some work to do, and you know, I'm I'm a scientist. I'm not necessarily a great lobbyer, but we do need to work with the with the FDA and the centers uh, to try and get these uh, these medications approved for payment, or else it's not going to get out there in our society and help people. And what the the sort of situation you're describing isn't unique to this medicine. I mean, I read all the time about how um, there's a new drug that the ALS Foundation pressured the government into releasing. And, you know, the FDA was like, well, you know, maybe it's a little bit positive in some people. And they were saying like, hey, we got nothing. If this is a little bit positive in some people at some point, that's still worth having. And sometimes it takes that kind of public pressure, whether it's from the um, ALS organization or the multiple sclerosis people or the muscular dystrophy people saying to the government, hey, you know what? A little bit of help is better than nothing. And this sounds like it's more than even a little bit of help. Yeah, it's it's definitely we need we need a lot of help here. And so, if anybody is looking for ways that they can help and they want to learn more about this, you know, I would recommend going to the Alzheimer's Association's website. Um, they actually have information posted there. They actually give you instructions on how you can write letters to your Congress people to hopefully get them to to put some pressure on the FDA and the, the uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to actually pay for these things because that's the only way they're going to do this is if they get pressure from from folks like us. So. Um, we're a very big supporter of it. I volunteer for the Alzheimer's Association. I do caregiver support group living um, facilitation. So I, I'm a big fan of that. And I can tell you almost every other foundation advocacy group that's out there right now, um, including the Global Alzheimer's Platform Foundation, they're all lobbying right now to try and get these these um, medications paid. But, you, you just know, went to one of their meetings, didn't you, the Global Alzheimer's Platform? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of this group. It's actually a group of about almost 70 research sites that are around the country, actually around the world, um, that get together once a year and we talk about um, what are the advances, what are the things that are happening in the world of Alzheimer's research. And then importantly, all these centers and all these clinics around the country and the world are talking about ways that they can actually improve the process to make the patient experience better, to help inform patients better. How do, what do we, what can we do to make the, you know, the low were the barriers to entry to research studies for, for folks who are in, in need for these trials. Um, some of the things we've done at the Global Alzheimer's Platform Foundation is we actually um, provided free transportation for patients to and from the clinic. We learned, you know, we learned that, you know, it's one of the reasons people can't, don't join research studies is because they have no way to get to the clinic. Well, let's oh. take that burden away and let's give them free transportation. So that's, it's little things like that that we're trying to do to make things a little bit easier. Um, they're also helping support us um, in in doing pre-screening. Like they, they provide us some tools where we can actually bring people into our clinics and we could do free memory screens. And we do a whole array of just um, batteries. And it's actually a free process. Nobody pays for anything. It's all supported by the Global Alzheimer's. Well, what does that comprise? And here's, yeah. here's I, could, I can't speak for anybody else, but my hesitance would be, do I, and, and I've had genetic testing, so I've wrestled with this question. Do I want information about a potential bad outcome that's coming my way if 
there is nothing that can really be done to avoid it or to avert it. And and I would imagine a lot of people are like, I'd, I'd rather just not know. I'd rather just not know, Steve. Yep. You know, I, I get that all the time. And, and my response to that is it's it's. For me, I think it's better to know things so you can actually make positive changes in your life. So, for example, if you're not eating a great diet, if you're not getting a um, good amount of sleep, if you're not meditating, if you're not doing a lot of these things, we, we've seen that there's a positive influence on, on people's memory and, and, and their, their long-term cognitive care. If they can make certain changes in the life, whether it's doing more crossword puzzles. Um, you know, here's a, a great thing. You know, Rush um, here in Chicago, Rush um, uh, Presbyterian, in St. Lucas, but it's some great work um, on looking at diets and looking at the Mediterranean diet and seeing how that can actually have a positive influence on, on um, brain health. All these things are good and they're healthy things you could do for your brain. It's not going to cure Alzheimer's disease. We don't, we don't have that data yet, but it actually might actually help slow down the rate of decline. And for me, as I mentioned earlier, Anything we can do to slow down that rate of decline is a win in my book because it actually it actually extends the quality of life for people um, a little bit longer, and we want to do that for our loved ones who are afflicted with this disease. So there, so knowing what's going on could be a good thing because you can make a lifestyle change. Um, and also, now that we have these new drugs that are coming out, even though they're not being paid yet, <laughs> they say yes. Um, if these drugs do eventually get um, coverage from insurance companies and Medicare and Medicaid, then these medications would be available to you if you did know you have um, some memory problems, that if you could take these medications, you can slow down the rate and actually, again, live a, a longer life with, uh, with but longer quality of life and better quality of life. So that's, that's why I would think people would want to know so they can do something about it. Now, the other thing is, Getting your memory checked is it should it should be something we all do. We like we go to the doctor, right, Joan? We we get our our blood draw. We we have your know, blood pressure measured. There's things that we do and we we get checked all the time. How often do you go to the doctor and they check your memory? It just doesn't never. But you know the no, but it should. And you know the problem is I, I in, in my, my this is my opinion, but I think doctors would want to do it. They just don't have time. And, you know, mm-hmm. they have to rush on to the next patient and all that stuff. But here's a, this is the thing that Great Lakes Clinical Trials does. We actually offer free memory testing for anybody over the age of 50. You can come in. We can do a few memory tests. We look at your medical history, determine if you are having memory problems, making sure it's not due to certain medications that you're taking that might actually affect your brain and stuff like that. So we can just do this memory test. And, you know, you, it's not mean, it doesn't mean you have to join a research study. It's just a free service we do. And you can actually take your results, go back to your doctor and say, hey, I had a memory test at Great Lakes and this is the results. What do you, what do you think? Okay, um, if somebody's so- listening to our radio program now and says, man, that's a good deal. I'd like to take that test. What do they do, Steve? Easiest. There's two ways to do it. The easiest way is to go to GreatLakesClinicalTrials.com. There's information on our website about free memory screens. It's very easy to find. The other thing is you can just pick up the phone and call 773 773- Two seven five thirty five hundred. That's our our main office number, and you can get connected to our recruitment department, and they'll set you up for an appointment. It's very easy. That's that's good information, uh, Steve. We need to take a real quick break. We are talking to uh, Steve Satek. He is the he's with Great Lakes Cr- Clinical Trials. We've been talking about Alzheimer's, but there are a couple of other areas where Great Lakes has been focusing recently. Um, mood disorders and something as common as psoriatic arthritis. We're going to talk to Steve about those when we come right back after this. 
There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. The Tom Hartman Radio Program provides all of the intelligence, information, and insight you'll need to win the water cooler wars. Weekdays 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. My guest is Steve Satek, Chief Commercial Officer at Great Lakes Clinical Trials. We've been talking about the work that they've been doing on Alzheimer's and the fact that you can get in touch with them for a free memory screening, no obligations, no nothing, Take the information to your family doctor. Uh, but there are other areas that they are working on where they're getting some really interesting results. Um, one of those is with mood disorders, which, Steve, for better or for worse, seem to be uh, present. Either they're more acknowledged and sp- spoken about more openly now, or there's just simply more of them than there were before. I mean, this is a real important area. Tell me about what you've learned. Yeah, you, you bring up a really good point. I don't know if, you know, if people say, is our mood disorders becoming more prevalent out there? I, I do believe in my heart that it's just becoming, there's less of a stigma, and it's really looked at that this is a problem that, that so many millions of Americans are experiencing on a daily basis. And before, people just never spoke up about it, but now there's some avenues that people can speak up and, and to do some things about it. So we've always done um, a, a lot of work in the area of mood disorders, whether it's depression or anxiety disorders. Um, the medical director of our clinic is a board-certified psychiatrist, Dr. Jeffrey Ross, who kind of leads all of our, our programs here. And some of them have been um, programs that have focused on medications. Some of them have been um, programs that have focused on uh, nutritional products. Um, we're currently doing some really exciting work in the area of psychedelics. And I'm not sure if you've been following this, Joan, but, you know, there was a lot of research that was being done up until the late 60s, early 70s in the area of psychedelics and how they can actually help improve some of these mood disorders. A lot of that research was put on hold um, throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, even 2000s. And just recently, we've really picked up a lot of work that was um, just put on pause for many decades. And we're seeing really, really tremendous results. And this is not just, hey, here, take a a psychedelic and and go home and you'll feel better. This is a program where we actually provide um, the different uh, psychologists and master's level, um, master trained social workers who meet with the um, patients, go through a therapy session, go through a dosing session where people do go on a trip. And then afterwards, we talk about it and what their experience was about. And it's really getting into people's, um, into the subliminal and trying to find out what is causing the depression, what is causing the anxiety. And some of the results we've seen have been tremendous. Of course, we don't know at the, until the end of the study if what the results are really truly going to be. We can look at our earlier study results, and they have been very effective. We see these medications kind of moving through the pipeline, and I would not be surprised if we're not going to see some of these psychedelics approved. And when I say psychedelics, I'm talking psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in some magic mushrooms, and um, mm-hmm. even we're doing some work with LSD right now. Um, it's done in a very safe, controlled environment, and you know, you probably even know this, Joan, you know, Oregon just passed um, some of these uh, medications to be used yeah. in 
um, in practice right now. So I think we're going to see it kind of rolling across the country in the, in the, in the coming years. I saw a, it was either a news report or I was watching a documentary, I get confused, um, on PTSD. And um, a big part of it was um, they were focusing on how some of these drugs, the ones you mentioned, including MDMA, were being used to treat PTSD. And again, it's like you described, it isn't just here's a drug, go off and have a trip. It's controlled. There are medical professionals there. Everything is monitored. And they talked, uh, they interviewed a couple of the people who had done it. And they said it was interesting because, you know, it was, I was able to revisit all of my trauma, but the, the psychedelic, the drug that I took sort of cut me off. I, I, I didn't access the anxiety and the panic and the rage and the anger. It was as if that was unavailable to me. So I was able to like go through the trauma and look at it more dispassionately. And they, there was one person who was interviewed who basically did this once. And I can't remember if it was MDMA or LSD. And, um, he was like, it changed my life forever. I don't do it all the time. I'd, I've never had to do it again. But that one instance was just, it shift, it shifted my biology and it shifted the way I, I think about this. And, uh, it was really amazing. And you're right. In, in the early, uh, before times, there was research that was going on with this. And then the war on drugs. Oh, drugs. All drugs are bad. It, everything was put on hold. Everything was criminalized. And it didn't used to be that way. So people think that somehow we're being like the state of Oregon is being crazy. Uh, by uh, making these things legal, it's just going back to where we were, you know, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you, you you definitely hit the nail on the head. Some of these these products are, are very, very safe. I think some of the, the more uh, notable side effects might be you might have elevated heart rhythm and those sorts of things, but we kind of control that. And the fact that these um, these medications are not being done, they're actually being created and developed in a standardized manner so we know the dosing is, is very clean. And, and you're doing it under a controlled environment. And you know, we've seen preliminary results have been very, very good. Six months disease-free after a single dosing and, and some therapy around that. So that's that's pretty tremendous. You know, the early work that we did with psilocybin, again, that's the magic mushroom um, uh, active ingredient. Um, some of the earlier work we did was with Johns Hopkins, and they did it in cancer patients um, who were feeling depressed and were closer to end of life. And so they actually use these these patients during these research studies using psilocybin, and they lived a happier, healthier quality of life. Um, you know, they, they wasn't controlling their cancer by any means, but at least their mental health through this process mm-hmm. was improved so that they had a better quality of life. And that's that's what this is all about. That's what medication or nutrition or therapy or anything we do is all about, is trying to make sure that people have a healthier quality of life. And that's that's what we try to do here at Great Lakes. My partner, Ray, just texted me. Um, what I'm remembering was a segment that they, that John Oliver did on HBO where he looked at PTSD and some of the treatments for it. So if anybody who's listening to me wants, wants to see that, uh, it was on, uh, you'll have to, you'll have to look up John Oliver, um, within the last few months because I, uh, 
uh, it, I know I saw it recently, but it was it was really fascinating. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is something I see on the ads to the to the programs I watch at night. All these ads for different treatments of different kinds of arthritis, particularly the a new big hit is psoriatic arthritis. What is it, Steve, and what is Great Lakes looking at with regard to psoriatic arthritis? Well, psoriatic arthritis, is it affects about um, 30% of people who have psoriasis. So psoriasis is a, is a skin disorder, but about 30 people who have um, psoriasis also develop arthritis um, in their joints um, in combination with the, the psoriasis. So it's, it's a kind of a debilitating. It's autoimmune, isn't it? It's a total autoimmune disorder, exactly. So we have, um, there are a number of pretty good biologic drugs that are out there um, to help treat this. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, some of them are expensive. And some of them, are, you know, insurance companies don't cover them completely. And it's, it's hard to get on, on special approvals for them. So um, there's there's downsides to them that I can't really control. But what I can tell you is the research studies that we're doing for these these compounds, you know, they're, they're free. Um, you actually join a research study. Um, you get the medications for free. You get all your doctor visits for free. So for those people that can't really afford these medications, a research study is a, is, could be a great option for you. And one thing that I always tell people is that when you're joining a research study, you're getting pretty darn good medical care because you're actually having visits more frequently. You're actually meeting with doctors who actually have the time to spend with you to collect as much information from you as possible. We're, we're there asking a lot of questions. And, you know, your visits aren't these, you know, eight minute, 10 minutes with the doctor, then you move on. We actually spend a long time collecting information to make sure that the medications are working, that they're safe. Uh, if you're having any kind of a side effect, we're actually very much want to look into that and see what's going on. Um, but the important thing is it's also free, too. Uh, we don't charge any money for joining. You don't look at your insurance card. You don't have to turn it in. Um, and in, actually, on the flip side, most people get um, a reimbursement for their participation, for their time participating in research. So it should be a win-win-win. And we're trying to, as I mentioned with the Alzheimer's program, we actually are providing free transportation for people with psoriatic arthritis, too. And for every one of our, our disease areas, we actually provide transportation to and from all of our clinics. And would somebody go to your website to see what kinds of studies you are recruiting folks for? Exactly. So when you go to greatlakesclinicaltrials.com at the top, there's a, one of the buttons is studies, and you can actually they list all the different studies that we're doing. And as I, I alluded to earlier, these things are changing all the time. Studies start and stop um, at different times through the course of the year. So you can always check back and just look and see what is there. Um, our phone number's on there. You can actually, some of the studies, you can actually click on the, the study and even schedule, schedule yourself for a visit. You don't even have to call into the, the clinic. Some, some of the studies you can just... We call it our self-scheduler, so you can get on the schedule, come on in, and, and meet with our study staff. And what are the parameters? Are, uh, is there, are there age requirements, or what, is this open to anybody? <laughs> You know, um, and that's that's probably one of the downsides of, of clinical trials is that we we ha- we are looking for a specific type of person to be in a, in a research study. We want to kind of eliminate as many variables as possible. So they're looking for you don't. First of all, if you have psoriatic arthritis, but you also have hypertension and you have diabetes that's uncontrolled, and there's other parts of your health that are of concern. 
a research study is probably not good for you. But in general, if your health is pretty stable, except for your psoriatic arthritis, a research study would be a good option for you. Um, we just don't, you know, if you, if you have other health conditions that are not controlled, a research study is not a good thing. You need to get you need to get your your house in order and get your other diseases uh, taken care of before you join a, a research trial. Um, because otherwise, the, yeah. the results will be muddled. You know, I mean, if you have somebody with five different conditions and you're trying to study one of them and you get a result, you can't be sure that the result you've gotten is from the one thing you were trying to study. It could be from one of the other four conditions. Correct. Exactly. It's exactly right. So it, it's all about trying to reduce variables as much as possible. But, you know, if you go to our, our the website, there's, you go to the study section, every one of the, the studies we have, have has like a little brochure that's on there, and it actually lists the few criteria that, that are kind of high-level things, like if you have to be between a certain age range. Um, if you have to be on a certain type of medication or stabilized on a medication, um, things like that, that you can you can actually look in, at the parameters and see if it if you would qualify or not. And again, I re- encourage people to keep checking back because those those studies change on a on a frequent basis for us. Well, Steve, thank you for being here. If you ever decide to start a study of um, whether or not there's a pill that will get rid of your gray hair, let me know. I will sign up so fast your head will spin. Steve Satek, Chief Commercial Officer at Great Lakes Clinical Trials, greatlakesclinicaltrials.org. You can uh, get more information from their website. We're going to take a break for news. Be back with more after this. This hour of Joan Esposito Live Local and Progressive is brought to you by Team Hochberg. If you want to buy a house or refinance a house, call 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Joan Esposito Live Local and Progressive on WCPT 820. We are joined by Cook County Commissioner Josina Morita, who represents the 13th District. Um, Josina, welcome to the program. Thank you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, too. Uh, you are endorsing one of your fellow county commissioners in the race for mayor. Uh, tell us about that. Sure. I think a lot of people might think, oh, I'm endorsing Brandon Johnson because he's my colleague. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the obvious. That's the obvious takeaway. But I'll tell you, I've known Brandon for over 10 years, and I'm endorsing him because I have seen him do the working communities. We've been organizers in the grassroots level together for over 10 years fighting for to raise the minimum wage and, and bring communities together across racial and religious divides. And I really believe in him as a leader. How long have you known him? Over 10 years. We've been organizers, I think, probably in our late 20s together. Uh, so what, um, what effort brought the two of you together 10 years ago? I think I first met Brandon when he was doing uh, work with around education on the west side. Um, I ran a coalition across the city of Chicago, and we were working on uh, protecting public schools on the west side, and then got to work with him more closely when I was helping uh, with the statewide minimum wage ballot initiative in 2014 and helping raise the minimum wage across the state. And when you first met him, what were your impressions? If you, I don't know, I, I don't know if I could remember back ten years, but I'm hoping you can. No, I mean, you know, sometimes you meet people and you can feel their soul. You know, he's just one of those people. He's an old soul, a gentle soul. 
you know, he's, he was, he has a fierce energy um, and passion for the work, but he's also very gentle and listens and thoughtful. And he had a unique presence in the room that I still remember. I've been talking to a lot of people getting their take on this particular runoff election. Some people feel that while that Brandon Johnson is really impressive, that maybe he's a little too young. What would you say to somebody who said that to you? I think we've heard this before, and I think that there's two choices right now between the status quo and moving the city forward. And I think it takes new ideas and new energy and somebody who can connect across racial communities, across generations. Um, and I, I believe that Brandon is that person. And I believe that, you know, we need some, we need change and we need somebody that, that the next generation can really believe in. And I see that generational divide, even in the, the primary of who was supporting who and, when you look at the the younger elected officials, the younger generation of activists, we are excited about Brandon, and we hope that others see that as well. Well, you know, activists get that name because they get up and do things and make things happen. But, you know, I agree with you. I think that uh, a younger demographic is... Um, is really sort of Brandon Johnson's power base. Unfortunately, as we have seen time and time again, it is my demographic, the 55 and older demographic that turns out. And especially in this um, February 28th election, the single worst demographic as far as showing up was 18 to 24. The next demographic above that was the second worst when it came to turnout. So how does Brandon Johnson motivate the very voters who are most likely to support him to actually get up and get out to the polls? I think it's two things. I mean, I think it's organizing young people to get out and vote. And I think that that's what Brandon's been doing his entire life. And I think we'll see those numbers go up um, in the April election. But I think it's also connecting with with the older voters. I think that folks who have lived in Chicago for decades have seen the city that they love and the city that they chose to make home change. Um, And that they have seen, you know, time and time again, the same old policies of more police and shutting down schools and, and not raising the minimum wage and not supporting working families. And all of these policies have not worked in the city that they love. And so I believe that those voters will see that Brandon has ideas and energy to actually change the way that we rebuild the soul of the city and rebuild the infrastructure of the city to help rebuild the city that they love. Last time around, Mayor Lori Lightfoot was considered the progressive who had the new ideas, the outsider's perspective. Um, You know, she wasn't tied to anybody politically. She was going to make things more transparent And a lot of the people who supported her because of those promises later left her and no longer supported her in the runoff because they felt that she really hadn't followed through. Sometimes I think people are now afraid, you know, yes, Brandon is making promises, but what guarantee do we have that he isn't going to see things differently once he's in the mayor's office? I believe that Brandon is one of those people who makes 
you know, has big ideas and has made campaign promises, but he's also done the work. And I think that that's what's different between him and a Lori Lightfoot. It's easy to make campaign promises, but Brandon's been an organizer. He's been a county commissioner. So he's been in government. While people see him as young, he has years of experience working on policy, years of experience working with communities. Um, and so to me, that gives him both the balance of new ideas and energy, but also a track record and the ability to get things done. And so I would say, don't just ask people what they say they're going to do, but look at what they've done. And Brandon has done it. What do you think as a county commissioner, what what are his highlights? What are his biggest and best achievements? I think he's really helped the county and, and much broader than the county, the state and the city, rethink what it looks like to reinvest in communities from the ground up. I know one of the big campaign issues um, that people are concerned about is crime and violence. And, you know, you can take the easy answer of just more police, more police, more police. But I think we know that more police in a vacuum isn't going to address this problem. And so Brandon's work on, you know, the budget and realigning the budget to, to invest in communities, especially communities that have, you know, experienced high rates of crime and disinvestment, um, those kind of getting to the root causes and actually investing in communities in a way that you see a long-term sustainable impact for the entire city that's what Brandon has done at the county, and that's what I think he'll do at the city. Well, I appreciate you giving us your insight. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating uh, runoff on April 4th. Are you going to be doing any on-the-ground campaigning for Brandon? I've been doing it since last October. I was with him at his initial announcement, and I've been out campaigning for him ever since, and we'll keep going. We'll continue to talk to voters and continue to to, to, to turn out this vote. Well, thank you for talking to us. It's always interesting to find out who successful government officials support in these races and why. Thanks for giving us your perspective, Josina, on uh, Brandon Johnson. Appreciate it. Josina Morita is a Cook County commissioner representing the 13th district We are going to take a break. We're going to come back with more news after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. At 4.30, we're going to be joined by State Representative Kelly Cassidy. Uh, We're going to find out who she is now endorsing in the mayor's race. She was with Lori Lightfoot uh, up until February 28th. We're going to be talking with her about her endorsement and some of the other issues she's working on. Uh, She's also the one who's been working on the human composting uh, bill that is uh, legal in other states. Some see it as the uh, absolute best solution for a funeral. We're going to talk to her about where that stands and other things coming up at 430. But for now, we have a couple of minutes where I can share with you some of the some of the stuff I wanted to share with you earlier, but wasn't able to get to. Um, we were talking earlier today about this whole story uh i use okay i'm using the neutral term story i could say debacle but i will say story 
this whole story that's come out as Rupert Murdoch and others have testified under oath in the lawsuit that has been brought against them by Dominion Voting, the $1.6 billion lawsuit. They're not going to mess that up by telling lies under oath. And so what have they shared? They have shared that well before January 6th, they knew the whole um, election uh, fraud was a total lie, a complete and total lie. They thought Donald Trump was insane. Tucker Carlson tweeting that he hated Donald Trump. Rupert Murdoch uh, testified that um, it was what they did what they did. First of all, they had no requirement to tell the truth because they were entertainment, not news. And they basically did what their audience wanted. They did it for ratings. They did it to make more money. I mean, he was he was right up front about it, about why they lied to their viewers night after night after night. It has been a big discussion on the congressional floor. It has been a big discussion on cable television. Former Senator Claire McCaskill is a regular contributor on MSNBC, and she was recently on with Nicole Wallace, and they were talking about this whole situation with uh, what Fox has admitted they did and the lawsuit. I thought this was um, some really interesting commentary from former Senator Claire McCaskill on this whole Fox situation. Listen to this. What's important in this lawsuit is how Dominion was damaged. Keep in mind that Dominion, only thing they sell is the ability to have reliable and secure tabulations of votes. And I would maybe disagree with Lee on trial strategy here because all of this information we're finding out, to me, goes in the bucket of reckless disregard for the truth. Mm. Um, you know, Fox is, tr- Fox is trying to say, well, we were covering it because it was newsworthy. They booked Sidney Powell 11 times after the election had been called by everyone for Joe Biden. They booked her 11 times. Between that moment and December the 20th. So, and she was spouting this stuff every time. Nobody was telling her not to go on the air. And we now know that not only were the hosts there saying she was a liar and a nut and couldn't be trusted, which certainly is knowing something is false, but the fact that all of this conversation was going on, that Announcing the tabulation of votes, that there's another layer that you have to consider? What are you talking about? There's no layer. Brett Bayer is supposed to be the head political correspondent for the network. The only layer is how did people vote? And the notion that they were doing all these things behind the scenes in order to please their viewers, not to give them the truth. That's called reckless disregard for the truth. That's called, we are only going to tell the truth if it makes us money. Ooh, let's hope Dominion wins this and wins this big. And if there is a settlement, in addition to whatever money they get from Rupert Murdoch, I hope as part of their settlement, they make Sean Hannity Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and all of their ilk 
Go on television and read an apology, read an acknowledgement that they lied and that they knew they lied and that they are so very sorry they lied. That's what I want to see. By the way, um, I shared with you a little bit earlier some of the more restrained comments from Congressman Jamie Raskin uh, about this situation. Uh, Jamie Raskin also spoke about this from the congressional floor. <laughs> he was not restrained when he spoke on the congressional floor. Jamie Raskin was on fire. Listen to this. To uphold the Constitution, that's why people go to court and they swear an oath to tell the truth. Now, they take their shocking nihilism about what's true and what's false, and they convert it to this entire Congress. And it all starts, of course, with January 6th, and before that, the presidential election. All starts with a big lie. Donald Trump's big lie. Well, they say, well, who knows? Maybe he won. Maybe he didn't. You say Joe Biden's president. We say Donald Trump's president. Nonsense. 60 federal and state courts rejected every claim of electoral fraud and corruption that they put forward. 60 federal and state courts rejected every claim. They don't have a single court that ever ruled in their favor. Donald Trump lost that election by more than 7 million votes, 306 to 232 in the Electoral College. So then their big lie now has to stretch all the way over January 6th. We have to disbelieve the evidence of our own eyes, of our own ears. We saw them come and descend upon this chamber, this Congress, wounding and injuring 150 of our police officers breaking people's noses, breaking people's fingers, putting people in the hospital. And already they're back on the news with big lies saying, no, 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 it was a tourist visit. Like these real tourists up here who have to come and watch representatives in the United States Congress say there's no difference between truth and lies. Real tourists who are not beating the daylights out of our police officers. Jimmy Raskin there riled up not simply because Fox News, Fox Cable rather, and its hosts and its owner lied to their viewers about who won and who lost the election. But Jamie Raskin pointing out that at least one of those Fox hosts, Tucker Carlson, continues to lie to the viewers by taking the footage of January 6th that Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, so generously provided him and editing it to cut out almost all of the violence. Tucker Carlson now going on and telling his viewers, they lied to you. They said it was violent. They said it was an insurrection. Look at this. It's tourists. It's tourists wandering around the Capitol. So if you think Rupert Murdoch and his folks learned anything, clearly Tucker Carlson is showing us that they did not. If the lies sell more than the truth, then lies are what you're going to get if you watch 
Fox Cable. One more thing I want to squeeze in uh, before we go to break. February 24th, of course, was the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mike Quigley has been working from Congress with the people of Ukraine to try to make sure they get the help they need and the support that they need. Uh, he recently made a House speech on the anniversary of uh, what he, he, the remarks he wanted to make about this recent anniversary of the invasion. I want to, before we move on, I want to share a little bit of this with you. I think it's important. Listen to part of what Mike Quigley had to say. Madam Speaker, as we reflect on the one-year anniversary of Putin's war against Ukraine, it cannot help but remind us of why we fought in the Second World War and that the fight Ukraine embodies the very same principles we fought for in the Second World War. First, preventing authoritarian regimes from wiping out sovereign democratic countries. The second principle, to prevent further genocide. The third principle we defended in World War II was the preservation of a liberal world democratic order. President Biden's recent historic trip to Kyiv highlighted these reasons, but it also recalled the words of FDR in his last inaugural in the months leading up to the end of that great conflict. He said, we have learned that we cannot live alone at peace and that our well-being is dependent on the well-being of other nations far away. We have learned the simple truth, as Emerson said, that the only way to have a friend is to be one. We can gain no lasting peace if we approach it with suspicion and mistrust or with fear. Mike Quigley on the floor of the House talking about the recent one-year anniversary of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. We're going to take a break and be back with more local politics after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at ComEd.com slash clean energy. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. State Representative Kelly Cassidy represents Illinois' 14th district when she is down in Springfield. She uh, made an endorsement early in the mayor's race. She came out in support of Mayor Lori Lightfoot. That was uh, up until February 28th. We want to talk to Representative Kelly Cassidy about where she is putting that endorsement today. Kelly, thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. So you decided to endorse or get behind Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, You wanted her to see uh, another term as mayor of Chicago. There were a lot of people who felt that she had um, undermined her support, that she hadn't been as progressive as she promised she would be. She hadn't been as transparent. And frankly, she had been, I think, more combative, at least publicly, than people were expecting. 
And yet you, you stuck with her. What was it you saw in her? Well, first of all, um, you know, we, we have a 30 year friendship. Um, so I, I maybe have some insight into her that isn't readily apparent, but also the, the combative stuff has really just, it's really been wild to, to, to engage with folks on that. Like we live in a city that would have continued to elect a man who drove a backhoe down Lakeshore Drive to tear up an airport in the middle of the night. We would have happily reelected a guy who mailed dead fish to people. But, but suddenly we've got a little black lesbian doing it and, and we're clutching our pearls and gasping because she speaks plainly and sometimes use colorful language. Come on. Well, you know, I some of that, I do believe that women are given a much shorter rope, and I do believe that they're held to a different standard. But what struck me about the mayor was it seemed that there were times when she was combative when she didn't need to. It seemed that there were times when she was combative when it worked against what she was trying to accomplish. But again, mayor drive a backhoe down Lakeshore Drive, violating federal law and tearing up an airport in the middle of the night, and nobody said boo. Like, I I just, I I criticized her positions. I did. She and I, you know, had several go-rounds around things. But ultimately, the personality piece, I think, is, 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 is ridiculous. But that was then, and this is now, and here we are, and we've got five weeks to save democracy in this city. And, and so, so how do you see the candidates currently in the runoff as able to accomplish that or not? Well, quite frankly, Paul Vallis is an existential threat to me and my family. Um, anyone so? who elevates anyone who elevates the voices of book banners and people who encourage attacks on drag brunches. And, uh, you know, like, as I said to someone earlier today, I, I get death threats from these people. And he, he said that she should be the governor, for God's sake. You're t- are you talking about his um, appearance with Awake Chicago? With oh, Awake Illinois. No, yeah. Awake Illinois. I'm uh, sorry. What? Yeah. And, and fundamentally, that, that's just not who we are as a city. Um, it's a disqualifier as far as I'm concerned. He has no ground here. Yeah, he has. He has been attacked uh, because of his like he went on Jeannie Ives podcast and he has been attacked to play footsie with the right. He does. His claim is for the awake um, appearance that he didn't realize that it was a fundraiser that and, and that his his argument is that he will talk to anybody. It, he's not only going to talk to the people who agree with him. So isn't that a good thing? Isn't that what we want? Somebody who can talk to anybody on any side of an issue? Look, there is nobody more bipartisan in the Capitol than I am. I, until the Reproductive Health Act, I had never had a partisan roll call. This is not that. This is elevating the voices of the people who want me and my spouse and our community removed from the planet. It's that simple. This is elevating the voice of people who are who are sending people into library boards to 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 harass unpaid elected officials. 
who are who are tormenting librarians who are 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 it, it, it just boggles the mind. And frankly, if you want to be the chief executive of my city, I would like you to have a better vetting process before you decide to do something. You didn't know it was a fundraiser. You didn't know they were bad people. You might want to figure that out before you get in there with them. Okay, let's look and at the other side of this. The only thing he's done. What do you like about Brandon Johnson? What attracts you to him? I like that he embraces the progressive values that this city stands for. He is he is fundamentally supportive of reproductive justice. He is fundamentally supportive of equality for all. And that's what we need at this time. When when we are in the crosshairs, I'm going to go to the guy that's going to have my back. Are you worried at all about the apparent, well, let's call it a divide at this point between Brandon Johnson and what the business community wants? I'm not sure what you're looking for there. Sorry. (laughs) Well, he's, you know, he has very plainly said these are the taxes. You know, I'm not going to raise property taxes, but we do need to raise revenue. Here are four or five ways that I'm going to do this. And one of the things that had uh, Crane's Chicago business going to the point of writing an editorial about him was this idea of bringing back the head tax, which the people in the business community just absolutely hate. Um, and I asked Brandon about that. I said, you know, Greg Hines says this is a business killer, that the city, it didn't work the first time it was implemented. We got rid of it, and it's a bad idea to bring it back. And uh, he doubled down. Brandon said, I disagree. I don't think it's going to hurt business. But, you know, there are a number of measures like that that have people speculating that the business community is going to get behind Paul Vallis because they are worried that Brandon Johnson isn't going to create a business-friendly community. How would you address that and reassure them? This is one of the most business-friendly areas from in, in terms of taxes. We have, like, Most of the corporations in the state pay zero state income tax. I am not holding any bake sales for our business community at this point. So you have no problem with the other argument was the taxes that Brandon Johnson said he was going to impose, um, that those are taxes that the Chicago Teachers Union has been wanting to see enacted for quite a, t- a time. He was accused of simply taking the CTU's position and basically rubber stamping it. That does his connection with the CTU bother you or give you pause taking the business communities? Are are we going to accuse Paul Vallis of taking the business communities pieces and putting them out? Like this is ridiculous. These comparisons are just silly. Honestly, at the end of the day, he's going to be the chief executive. He's going to need to get 25, 26 votes on anything he wants to do. So the legislative body is going to have a say here. And, Maybe the, maybe the head tax doesn't work, but something else does. That's how legislation gets made. We start somewhere, we, we end somewhere else that everyone can live with. I, I agree with you. And while they are both pre- promising not to raise property taxes, I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> we have That's seen good <laughs> We have seen good ideas go down the pike before. Exactly. But, but, um, and we've done it at the state level, too. But at the end of the day, like, Chicago's property tax burden is much lower than in 
in the suburbs. Like people think our taxes are very high, but comparable houses in the suburbs are a great deal more. And, and it shows in what is available in those suburbs, right? The schools are better because they pay for them. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we need to take a real quick break. I'm speaking with State Representative Kelly Cassidy. She represents Illinois' 14th District. She is a supporter of Brandon Johnson to be the next mayor in the city of Chicago. We're going to talk about this and other things with her when we come right back after this. Can't listen to Joan Esposito? Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today? I am serious, and don't call me sure. Don't fret. You can still listen to her on the TuneIn app on both your phone and computer. Whoa! You feel that right away. Uh, it's just refreshing. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. And I'm joined by State Representative Kelly Cassidy. She represents the 14th District. We are talking about the fact that she has endorsed Brandon Johnson uh, as the next mayor of the city of Chicago. Both Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson seem to be on the far ends of the political spectrum. Don Rose, in one of his recent political commentaries, said, you know, the person who gets to the middle, who captures the middle, that's the person who becomes the next mayor. How does Brandon Johnson, how do you see him doing that? Well, I will say, again, for my part, um, I don't trust Paul Vallis to protect me as a woman. I don't trust Paul Vallis to protect me as a queer. I don't trust Paul Vallis to protect my non-binary spouse. I don't trust Paul Vallis to protect my trans siblings. That's how we get there. That man is an extremist and he's dangerous. Okay, but he has the support of Tom Tunney, one of the most prominent LGBTQ members of the city council, a guy who supported Lori Lightfoot until he didn't, mm-hmm. who actually was so uh, disillusioned he considered a, a race for mayor himself, decided not to do that. And he said that he fully supports Paul Vallis and he is very comfortable with Paul Vallis. I'm glad Tom's comfortable with him. Um, Tom's probably more comfortable with him as a business owner than anything else. Okay, but let's go back to the original question then. Let's take Paul Vallis off the table. How does Brandon Johnson expand this group of voters who obviously love him, voted for him February 28th? He needs to, he needs to more than double that number of voters. What's the best way for him to do that? I think it's what he's already been doing. He, he, he has not taken a break. Um, he, we're, he recognizes that this was a crowded field. There were a lot of progressive candidates in the field. And so that's a, that is a fertile field to, to, to look to for votes. Um, as committee person in the 49th Ward, we are hitting the ground running, starting with a canvas tomorrow, um, two, canvases, two canvas shifts tomorrow. And we will be putting everything out there to make sure that anyone who voted for Lori, for Chewy, for any of the other candidates, knows that that Brandon Johnson is the progressive choice, that he is the choice to protect our rights, to protect our community. Do you think that either Lori or Chewy Garcia will uh, end up making any endorsements in this race? And frankly, does it matter? How much weight does an endorsement carry? I don't know the answer to that. Um, You know, when you're talking about a short turn like this, it might make some difference. 
right? You know, there's there's you trusted that person with your vote. And so maybe it, it will help with your research process. Right. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, each each candidate has to sort of go through their own process and decide what they're going to do. I thought I saw that Chewy endorsed, but I maybe I've been in the basement with COVID for a week, so I might have hallucinated <laughs> that. <laughs> well, I will I will look that up as we speak. Um, I will tell you, as I watched these nine candidates move through the process and do all the interviews and all the forms, one person that I was really impressed with was now former Alder person uh, Sophia King. It's She seems to me to have a lot going for her, and I would love to see her uh, continue on in public life. Do you know her? Not really well. Um, I've, I've had some interactions with her, and you're right. She's incredibly, incredibly impressive um, and and does have a lot to offer. So I hope that this isn't the end of the, of the line for her. Um, another person in that field that, you know, sort of in that sphere um, that folks have approached me about having been really impressed by was my colleague Cam Buckner. Um, I was really yes. impressed with how he comported himself in, in, the, in the race as well. Um, I think you, well, um, okay. Brandon Johnson's campaign manager said Brandon Johnson and Chewy Garcia have had, quote, several good conversations. So I don't know what the heck that means. I saw that and then my fevered state turned that into (laughs) (laughs) several good conversations. How many good conversations does it take, Kelly? I think it's like a Tootsie Pop, you know, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? As many as it takes. Um, I've been with candidates who have lost, um, who have to go through their process and decide, you know, what they're going to do and how they're going to handle it. Um, And that can't be rushed. That's a personal experience and a personal decision. It's an exhausting decision. Um, So I've never been a person that puts pressure on the, um, the defeated person to make a hasty endorsement. Mm-hmm. Um, I, people are, are speculating that it's quite possible that Mayor Lightfoot will not ever make an endorsement since she didn't have a lot of good to say about either Paul or Brandon. Um, and I, you know, I think that's certainly her that's right. Her, it's, that's her prerogative, too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, and that's exactly you know, that, that is exactly what I'm referring to. And, you know, in the past, I have been asked to pressure people um, when I've been on their side. And, and it's just I don't think it's appropriate. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, candidates are still humans and they get to feel things. And I think Abs- people sometimes absolutely. forget that about us. Yeah, um, abs- absolutely. I mean, it's sometimes I think the more you're in the public eye, the rest, the less real you are as a human being to people. I think that can Absolutely happen, you know, and it's I'm sure you've had that experience. Yeah. I mean, we are on TV, you're in political life. You have to develop a thick skin because people are going to be just breathtakingly blunt and rude sometimes. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I can't let you go without finding out how our human composting uh, bill is doing. Where does that stand? So it's it's very, very timely ask. Uh, this week was the committee deadline in the House. And even though I was in quarantine, um, I was able to, to work with my colleagues and get some folks to step up and pinch hit for me. Um, and my a- amazing first term 
chief co-sponsor, Mary Beth Canty, um, appeared in the Energy Environment Committee this, this week and, um, and advanced the human composting bill. It's, uh, it's probably going to have one more amendment to deal with some of the regulatory stuff, figuring out which department does what. Um, but it's, it's ready to go. Um, but she faced some crazy pants opposition. Um, the sanitary industry is vehemently opposed, um, somewhat understandably. They want people to continue to use land because, you know, we've got so much of that to spare. Um, and so, this, you know, this hits them in their pocketbook. Um, but they, they were um, quite hyperbolic in their opposition, talking about uh, treating humans like livestock and mass graves and all sorts of ridiculous uh, uh, imagery. Um, and uh, Rep Canty was unflappable. Um, she, she was as smooth as you could imagine. And, you know, honestly, for a first termer in one of her first committee hearings, it was pretty impressive. Uh, has anybody pointed out to them that whole dust to dust kind of uh, phrase? <laughs> well, but see, their industry is all about really preventing you from becoming dust. You know, you got the concrete lines, grave, you got all the chemicals, you got the boxes, you got it all. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's not so much their thing. I, I guess not. And I, I don't mean to overlook the fact that uh, you have been uh, diagnosed with COVID. How have you been? Were you hard hit? Um, it was different. This is the second time I've had it. It was a little bit different. Um, last time I got it, I, I, I seem to have a penchant for getting COVID during deadlines. Um, because last time I had it in the spring, it was the end of session. And so, you know, the final passage. Um, and I was, I was, it was sort of a nothing burger. I had cold symptoms and a lot of energy and I was bored. This time I was sleeping like it was my job. Um, <laughs> and so I, I went down on Friday and I probably slept until Monday with very few breaks. Um, but then I started to feel better and now I'm out of quarantine. Um, and I, I would say I'm like at 95%. Um, so it's it's been an, an easier recovery than the last time because it went on for about two weeks last time. Well, I'm a three timer, and I will tell you that oh, wow. each time I've had it, the duration has been a little shorter and the symptoms have been a little bit more manageable. Though I was talking with an infectious disease doctor that said, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't if you get it a fourth time, you can't use times one, two, and three to predict exactly what will happen on time four. But um, but so far, yeah, definitely totally different experience. Yeah, um, that sounds like exactly what you experienced. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely worse this time than the first time. So who knows? And, and, like, and they're all different strains, right? They're going to hate mm-hmm. I personally feel that I have to sample every new strain that comes out um, <laughs> to be able to speak about them authoritatively on the radio. So um, I think probably I, it was an Omicron or XX1B that I had last time. But when there's a new one, I will be sure to get it so I can report back to you what's new and different. I look forward to your review and hope I never hear it because. Yeah, I, I really. Again and I hope you. I hope I hope you don't join the four club. I don't want to join the three club. Yeah, really. One thing I will tell you is this last time, I think part of the reason it was the shortest is because this last time for the first time I took the Paxlovid, which um, I think really shortened the course of the illness. And I did not have a rebound COVID. But I will tell you that tastes so horrible that next time I'm going to weigh whether or not I just want to be sick versus taking it. It's a it's a real experience. 
actually is. I've used it both times, um, uh. and I got the rebound the first time. Um, but what I, the key to the Paxlovid mouth, Sour Patch Kids. Okay. All right. They, 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 they mask it long enough that you can keep, keep rolling. It, I, okay. I a, a big movie theater bag of Sour Patch Kids <laughs> in my five-day. Medical day. advice from State Representative <laughs> Kelly Cassidy. You heard it here first. We will be tweeting it out later today. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk with you. you. Uh, that's going to do it. Uh, thank you. That's going to do it for me. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez is up next. I will see you this coming Monday. Is it Friday already? It is, isn't it? (laughs) Have a great weekend. Find something somewhere that brings you a little bit of joy. You know, that's that's what you got to do. That's how we get through troubled times. Find something, somebody, someplace that brings you joy. I will see you Monday at 2 o'clock. Until then, have a great weekend. Stay safe, my friends. Good night.